I got to tell you, there's no greater witness than those who were once dead in their trespasses and sins, walking around as a living testimony of the power of Jesus Christ to change lives. No greater witness. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. You're on a big merry-go-round and it's taking you for a ride. You've got to let go and let go. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. So today we're going to look at John 11 verses 45 through the end of the chapter. We'll get into chapter 12 all the way to verse 8. We're going to look at one died for all. A lot less scripture than last week. So last week I tried to move things along fairly quickly to make sure we could cover all 44 verses. And I did fairly well with that as far as time was concerned. And I was thinking about that this week and I realized when I have less scripture, I'm not so worried about time, that's when it gets dangerous for me. <laughs> so I only have two points with some subpoints in here, but the two points, mainly because we have two basic sections that we're going to be looking at today. One died for all, John 11:44, all the way through John 12:8, And we're going to see today, what shall we do? John 11, verses 45 through 57, and the anointing at Bethany, John 12, verses 1 through 8. God knows what we need, and we become that living and walking testimony that we can share our faith with others. And it's the purpose of the gospel, as Jesus declared when commissioning Paul to preach to the Gentiles, Jesus said, I'm sending you out in Acts 26, 18, that you might open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Jesus talking, by faith in me. The power of the gospel to change lives. And so the word tells us, verse 54, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, He withdrew away into the country, about 15 miles away, and he remained there in Ephraim until he would come back to Jerusalem, as we'll read in chapter 12. He retreated to this remote location because the hour had not yet come that the Son of Man should be glorified. But as Passover drew near, we discover that they began to look for Jesus. As the people began to gather in, and Josephus wrote about the Jewish Passover celebrations, and he was an eyewitness of these things. 
He wrote about the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. He witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem. But he said during the Passover feast, as many as two million people would gather there in Jerusalem for the Passover. And as the people came, as it tells us, as we close out in chapter 11, they came to Jerusalem to purify themselves that they might worship there at the temple of God in Jerusalem. But they also came in anticipation of Jesus. Would he come to the feast or would Jesus remain in seclusion? Only time would tell. But as far as the religious rulers uh, were concerned, Jesus was on the most wanted list. I believe the psalmist was writing about this when the psalmist said in Psalm 109 verses 4 and 5, In return for my love, they are my accusers, but I give myself to prayer. Thus, they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Their question was, what should we do about Jesus? And to believe or not to believe, that, just to pull that line from Shakespeare, that is the question to this day. There is a choice. Are we going to believe in Jesus or are we going to reject him? When we go into the next section, it's the anointing at Bethany, verses 1 through 8, and we pick up in verses 1 through 3, we find Mary's worship. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. So there at Bethany, only about two miles from Jerusalem, six days before the Lord's crucifixion, before Passover. According to Mark's gospel, Mark 14, this took place in the house of Simon the leper. If this is the same location, the same house, the same event, they are very uh, compatible as you read the two accounts, especially with the anointing of Jesus. We have to assume that Simon the leper no longer had leprosy, because if he did, you would be unclean uh, for the Passover celebration. So Jesus, no doubt, had healed Simon at some point before that. So you'd have Simon in the house, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, the uh, 12 disciples, Jesus. It's a pretty big party going on at that house at that time. And I understand Martha, she's serving once again. She's found in the kitchen. Uh, Dave excitingly telling me that our number to family camp is right around 60 right now. My first thought, we're going to be doing a lot of cooking. Martha the worker was right engaged in my mind right there. It takes a lot to feed a group of people like that and to do several meals. So there was Martha in the house serving with them. So it was, as we learn, the people came to purify themselves, John eleven fifty five, And this dinner took place about six days before the Passover. And once again, we find Mary and Martha doing what Mary and Martha, it seems in Scripture, always did. Martha's found serving and helping in the kitchen while Mary is found at the feet of Jesus. Martha the doer and Mary the worshiper. And then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. 
and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. This pure nard, it's a, a fragrant oil that was prepared in northern India. It's made from these roots and stems of this aromatic herb that was imported in these sealed alabaster boxes or flasks. And they were only opened for special occasions. They sealed them in these boxes. And it wasn't like we buy perfume today. You can pop the top, do a couple of squirts. Some people do too much when they're putting on the perfume. But then you seal it up again, and you're good to go for another year or two. Uh, you can keep them forever if you don't use it up. But this was something that was used one time. You'd open it, and you'd use it. And she broke it open, and she anointed Jesus with it, and wiped his feet with her hair. And I love this scene, because Mary took what the Bible describes as her glory. In 1 Corinthians eleven fifteen. it refers to the long hair of a woman as her glory, her covering. She took what the Bible describes as her glory and used it as a rag to wipe the feet of Jesus. But in the process of doing this, she transferred the fragrance that was upon Christ to herself. Can you imagine what Mary's hair smelt like, what her clothing smelt like, her face? She was transferring the fragrance of Jesus onto herself at the feet of Jesus. That's what happens to each and every one of us when we sit and worship at the feet of Jesus. There is a transference of the fragrance of Christ. The fragrant oil that filled the house testified of Mary's great love for, for the Lord. But in 2 Corinthians 2.15, it tells us, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved, among those who are perishing. We are the fragrance of Christ. And again, it gives us the two. On believers, those who are being saved. On unbelievers, those who are perishing. And so sometimes you gather with a group of people and you're all brothers and sisters in Christ and they're just like, a believer. We went to the county fair yesterday and parking in the free lot because I'm cheap. I can walk. But when I got out of my, my truck, somebody came up and he basically came up, shook my hand and said, way to represent, bro. And I'm like, what? <laughs> my truck, Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, you know, the fragrance of Christ. But to others, you can be that believer and you're in a group of unbelievers and they're just, they're repulsed by the very same fragrance. They just don't want to be around you because you're reflecting Christ. Here's Mary. She gave of her wealth. She gave of her glory, her long hair, just to sit at the feet of Jesus. What gift, what glory have you given that you might sit at the feet of Jesus? Well, Judas's indignance we find in verses 4 through 6. John tells us, verse 4, Then one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. 
So here's Judas, the first mention of Judas in all four Gospels. Each Gospel writer lets us know that he is the one who betrayed Jesus. And this is the second time that John mentions Judas in Scripture. But John gives us a lot of detail about Judas, more so than the other Gospel writers. John gives us a little more insight to Judas's character. He calls him a devil in John 6, 70. And John calls him a thief in John 12, 6. We just read that. And John tells us that he was actually possessed by Satan in John 13, 2. And that he was the betrayer of Jesus in John 18. And we learn of that betrayal in John 18, verses 1 through 11. But according to the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, Judas's complaint against Mary's beautiful act of worship at first drew agreement from the disciples. Judas saying, hey, what a waste. And the other disciples saying, yeah, we could have gave this money to the poor. What they didn't know was that he was stealing from their treasury. They thought that Judas was this wise financial guy. Why else would they give him all the money? They're walking around thinking, Judas, is, he's doing quite well for himself. He's got a new robe. Did you just check that out? Judas got another new robe. They didn't know he was ripping off from the box. They just thought, he's just good with the funds. But little did they know that this thief would soon become their master's betrayer. John 13, 2, after supper being ended, the devil, having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. But Mary's service, as we close out in verses 7 and 8 today, but Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but me you do not always have. Mark's gospel, Jesus called this anointing a good work. It's a word in the Greek that means well and beautiful and noble. In Mark 14, 6, Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. In verse 8, she has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. She has kept this for the day of my burial, the Lord said. And I believe when Mary originally uh, saved up her funds to buy this expensive oil, some believe that this was like her dowry. This was a treasure that she had, maybe saving for her a wedding day and a dowry technically was funds that a woman would have in case her husband died or divorced her, that she would have something to live off of. So you can see that that would mean if you're going to live off of something, it's got to be fairly substantial to be able to live off of something. And I believe that when Mary originally saved up and purchased this very costly oil of spikenard, she had no idea of how selfishly she would use her prized possession in the service of God. Suddenly, she had it in mind to use it in an act of worship and love and devotion toward Jesus. And while God used this selfless act to prepare his son's body for burial, we find that Mary's selfless act had this God-ordained purpose. Mary, I don't think she had an idea of how God was going to interpret her great act of devotion toward the Lord. But it was a God-ordained event. Eight days later, early on a Sunday morning, 
several women would be gathering in the graveyard, coming to bring spices to anoint the body of Jesus. But his body would not be there. They were going to be too late because he had already resurrected from the grave. Mary did this beforehand for the day of my burial, the Lord said. And then the Lord said, for the poor you always have. And Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't care for those who have need, but that he is always to be the priority in our service to others. Jesus is always to be the priority when serving others. Today, we have people who are willing to serve others. And in the process of serving others, they begin to diminish the glory of Christ. They're afraid that perhaps they won't be received. Uh, Think of some of the things that have changed dramatically over the years that have been around in our nation for a long time. YMCA. I wonder how many people today realize that the C stands for Christian. It's just a club where you go work out and hang out. And they're in many of the communities. But it's Young Christian Men Association, YMCA. It, it was, and then they had the YW for the women themselves. But it was a Christian work. I'd have to say the Salvation Army has done well in keeping the name of Christ in their ministry. But so often there are organizations that began by wanting to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ by helping others who have great need. And they did that first and foremost through the proclamation of the gospel. But over the years, they have set aside the gospel for good works. They have set aside the gospel in order that they might have more influence in this world. They're worried about their status, their place, their position. As we go back to John chapter 11, rather than the will of God for their lives. Jesus said, the poor you will always have, but I'll not always be with you. When we serve the Lord, we serve others because the Lord is a priority in that service. As it says in Proverbs 14.31, I can give you a verse on this. He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors God has mercy on the needy. He who honors God has mercy on the needy. As we serve God, it's a natural tendency of the believer to help others. And we sacrifice to help others because he himself became a sacrifice for our sins. God said in Deuteronomy 15, 11, the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. That verse, I've I've read it a number of times here over the last 19 years as your pastor. And perhaps I've read it to you because it makes me feel so guilty to read it. The poor will never cease. Therefore, Keep your hands tight, the Lord said, and hang on to the cash that you have. He didn't say that. He said, open your hand wide. Open your hand wide to your brother, to the poor and to the needy in your land. Perhaps we should do better in that. But Jesus also said a memorial to Mary in Mark 14, 9. Surely I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, 
what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. And this beautiful promise that Jesus made to Mary. And here we are nearly 2,000 years later, and Mary's story continues to be told as a memorial to her, just as Jesus said. You know, as we close out, I just wonder how our acts of devotion to Jesus are seen from a heavenly perspective. I know this does not compare to Mary's act of devotion here. I did want to mention one thing. Uh, we came home from church when my son was living at home many years ago now. And uh, I will tell you that my son is one who over-colones himself sometimes. <laughs> my eyes are watering, son. So we're at church. We're, we came home, and uh, he was borrowing. He wasn't even home when we got there, but we knew what he had done. As soon as we opened the door, he borrowed some of my cologne. He dropped it on the ceramic floor. He broke the bottle, and the fragrance of that cologne filled the house for many days. I know he cleaned it up, but it didn't matter. It was in the house. And so we think of Mary, and we know... That is just a great act. And I know this does not compare, but it reminded me of the year that we sold our house over in Zion that I could move with my family out to California in order that I could attend uh, the School of Ministry at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. And I remember the woman who purchased our home. She said these words, this is the home that I've always dreamed of. And I thought, I thought this was the house that I always dreamed of. It was my blood, my sweat, and my tears. <laughs> there was one uh, putting drywall up in, in the upstairs. I stripped everything out. I mean, this house had a lot of work. But I did it twice. And this is the tears part. I was drilling drywall into what behind the wall was actually some uh, uh, heating duct vents. And so I was trying to drill through some steel. Back then it was galvanized. Should have piloted a hole with a drill, but I just tried to screw through it. And don't you know that I did it twice? I, I slipped off and went right into my thumb. Once my thumb healed up, I tried it again. And I did it again. I probably piloted the hole that last time, make sure I kept my thumb. But up to that point, it was my dream. And suddenly my dream had changed. The Lord had something else in store for me. And that house, it's been long gone. But what the Lord did with that house, Lily and I both had work when we moved out to California. And when we moved there, immediately from owning a house to renting an apartment, that monthly uh, house payment tripled for rent. So cost of living really went up, but our pay went really down. I went personally from, I think, about $25 an hour to $6.50 an hour. But God was able to use the proceeds that we had from selling the house to help us to live for two years out there, and we even had enough left over to put a down payment on a better house when we moved back. I'm not always saying that that's going to work out that way. It could be that we could have come back flat broke. 
but the Lord worked it out for us at that time in that way. We were able to return back home, have money for a down payment, and to reestablish ourselves, all because I was willing to give up a dream house that suddenly became somebody else's dream, not mine. We never know how God would take our prized possessions and use them for his glory unless we're willing to lay them down at the feet of Jesus. Lay them down at the feet of the one who died that we might be saved. Sometimes I believe we just hang on too tightly. You know, hand open wide and let the Lord work. Father, we thank you for your word and for what it teaches us this day. And I pray, Lord, that as we close out this time of teaching, I pray, Lord, that you would just work in our hearts now as we worship in this closing song. Lord, if there is one who has a prayer need, I pray that they would come and, and come forth to pray with Pastor Kevin or maybe just kneel down in the, in the front rows here and just uh, lift up their voice to you. But I pray, Father, that you would just help us to have surrendered hearts to do your will knowing that you are the one who died for not just the nation of Israel, but for the whole world. Help us, Lord, we pray this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into his image by the power of his Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.